when I'm talking with today's guest, I get a little bit of insight into looking at the helping professions through a business lens. And guys, the picture of this is is kind of bleak. <laughs> it's not it's not bleak. It's not bleak. You know what it is? It's that it feel I think we're missing a lot. I think that we go in and we're educated, we're educated to be educators or medical professionals or mental health professionals and we don't get any background or information on business, business mindset or how to approach creating um, our work and our and our how we want our work to serve us. None of that stuff. I mean, I never thought about anything like that as a helping professional up until just the past few years. And only then because I was brought to a place where I felt I absolutely had to. And I know I'm not alone in that. So I love that Marissa Lawton is in the helping space and able to help us all shift that lens a little bit. Marissa Lawton is um, she she is a former mental health therapist, um, now full time coach to other helpers, helping them to scale up from a one to one model to a one to many model. But beyond that, to find the um, online offering that suits them as an individual and to design their business in a way that is aligned with who they are as a person. What a valuable service. This is this is what we need, right? This is so important, which is why I'm working with her <laughs> and why I asked her to be on the podcast today so she could share some of her um, incredibly valuable insight with all of you. So here is my interview with Marissa Lawton. All right, so today I have Marissa Lawton. Marissa, thank you so much for doing this with me. You're so welcome. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. So I've been working with Marissa, actually. Marissa's been supporting me in creating a side hustle, and that's kind of um, the gist of what we're going to be talking about today is helpers, um, specifically you work with therapists and clinicians that are looking to create um, a side hustle to create new income streams and new opportunities for themselves. Yeah, my main mission is just to help therapists and other clinicians. I've worked with OTs, PTs, um, speech-language pathologists, so really anybody who sees clients in a one-on-one -on -one capacity, mm -hmm. um, they're going to come against that that ceiling where it's time for money, and the only way to kind of um, rise above that is to raise your rates, um, but that's tricky, and there's a lot of money mindset and even, you know, marketplace things that come with raising rates, right. or add people onto your schedule. And that becomes, um, you get to a point where that becomes really difficult or impossible. And so when we start to think of a way to serve one-to-many, um, then we start to be able to break away from that um, ceiling 
And my passion is helping clinicians do this in an online way. So instead of being limited to their town or maybe their state, they have a way to serve um, nationally or even globally. Right. Awesome. Awesome. And you've been so helpful to me. So I'm excited. Maybe you can get your your message out to other people and uh, get them inspired, too. So first, just who who are you as a helper? We're talking with helpers on this show. So who are you as a helping professional and what kind of helping work have you done to date? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I have a roundabout path. Uh, My undergrad is in finance and marketing, um, which doesn't really necessarily always lend itself to the helping profession. Um, But I then went to grad school and got um, my master's in mental health counseling. So um, was a licensed counselor for a while. Uh, But even when I look back at what I was doing as a financial service provider or, um, you know, a business in the business sphere in the corporate world, my goal was always to help um, small businesses and to help people have better financial footing. So Mm -hmm. even though I was doing it in a different way, when I look back at the value system that was behind that, it still was a helping nature. Right, right. Yeah, that's so interesting. Why did you decide, actually, this is a total segue, why yeah. did you decide to get your master's in mental health when you had your, your background in finance? Were you seeing already how it all fit together? Or no. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, did you already have this big picture vision or what was happening? Not at all. Okay, so I'm married to an active duty soldier um, in the Army, and we got orders to Alaska. Um, And I had been working at like big four firms, um, you know, big, uh, well, what was the left of the finance sector after 2008. Um, And so I was, you know, full corporate moved to the middle of Alaska where there was one credit union. And so (laughs) it was like, okay, so I could be, you know, I can process auto loans for the rest of my career. Like that's basically what it turned into. I was like, um, honey, I'm not doing this, right? Like this isn't going to work for me. So I, I call it my quarter life crisis where I was like, okay, so what do I really want? from life. Mm -hmm. Like now that I'm out of school, I've met everybody else's expectations. I got the degree. I did the the thing that I was supposed to do. What do I really want? Um, And it's a really old book. I'm sure it's from like the 90s, but it's called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. So that was my first tiptoe into like self-help, even though it was still like totally corporate minded book. Um, but one of the things that it, it had exercises in it, which my brain like really loved, not just reading, but like doing the exercises. And one of those exercises was to kind of reflect back on what you did as a child. Like what were people coming to you for naturally before you had expectations for others? Um, and it was always advice, like even in elementary school, right? Like my parents are fighting at home. What should I do? Or like kids were always coming into asking me about situations. Mm. Um, and so I wanted to be a life coach. Um, but this was back in, you know, 2009, 2010, before coaching became a thing. And I was young 20s. So I was like, okay, coaching isn't really a thing as like it is now. <laughs> right. And who's going to want a 20 year old life coach? So again, the me in my head was like, well, let me go get a master's. And so I ended up going down this route of a master's and 3,200 hours and a license and an internship and a practicum and supervision. And I felt like that gave me the chops, right? It made me bona fide to be a helper. Um, And now I'm a coach anyway. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that is like a lot of dedication. <laughs> it's right. not easy to, to go through all that education and, and all those hours and everything. But that also, I'm guessing, gave you a really good background to be able to do the coaching that you're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, I really pull a lot from traditional marketing, right? There's a lot in the online space of like marketers of trial and error marketing and and like things that have worked for people. And the online space, I don't know if I'd call it the wild west anymore. I think it's more like the tamed west. There's still a lot of experimentation. There's still a lot of like anything goes. But I pay attention to trends and I pay attention to what is working now, but I pair that with traditional proven marketing like I'm talking like ad like mad men, like advertising from the 30s, 40s, 50s, like principles that we know will never go away. Mm. That's really what I feel like I can bring to the table um compared to a lot of other like online marketers out there. Yeah. Yeah. So just quickly, tell us a little bit about, so we've got like this idea of who you are in terms of of a helper. Um, Who are you personally? We know that you're married to someone in the services. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So my husband is um, a first sergeant in the army. So um, that basically, as you climb rank in the in the army, you become less of a soldier and more of a um, human resources person. So he basically herds cats all day. He's like an HR manager. Um, but it, what's nice about that is life has settled down a little bit. When we were young, um, it, the world was much more dangerous, but his job was more dangerous as well. Um, and so there's less deployments now. And if he goes places, he's in a different position. So that has settled down um, and now after we got out of kind of those those mo- more dangerous positions, those more frontline positions, we decided to have kids. So we have um, two daughters. Uh, Sawyer is six in, in first grade and Logan is um, three in, pre- in preschool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot going on. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> There's a lot of fires. I've learned to become really good with ambiguity. Um, I was actually talking to my coach about this yesterday. It's like, um, you know, we can move at the drop of a hat and we don't know where we'd be going. It'd just be where the army wants us to be and it could be around the entire world. Um, wow. And as somebody who's really type A and really... Um, you know, a linear thinker, plans months and months ahead. Um, That was hard to get used to. Mm -hmm. I still don't know if I'm 100% used to it, but that was one of the biggest, like the biggest impetus for me um, moving away from a profession that had such strict red tape and such strict regulations because the we moved um at one point I moved every 12 months in the beginning of our marriage and there was just no way like I couldn't have by the time I got work at an agency I would have been leaving and by the time I would have gotten private practice clients I would have been leaving and this was before online therapy was as much of a thing as it is now I think um it, it is easier now to maintain an online caseload but at, at by the time it got easier, I was already building an, an online business outside of, 
you know, clinical licensure. Yeah, that's so smart, too. That keeps coming up as I'm talking to people, all the red tape associated with licensure. And, mm-hmm. you know, I do all my work online, and I'm licensed in three states. And still, there's there's just so many limitations and so much that comes up and boards never give you any answers. And <laughs> it can and be think- really hard. Yeah. And I think they keep you scared on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mm-hmm. I, I love I love the mental health profession. I, I believe that there's, you know, an epidemic out there and we need good clinicians. So my goal is never to take anyone out of mental health. What I really see is let's get you to the point where you're seeing whatever number it is for you, maybe five, maybe eight, maybe 10, but like not 26 Mm -hmm. clients a week, right? (laughs) Let's get you to like eight clients a week where you can show up and do good work for those eight people. And then let's have something else Mm -hmm. fill you from, from a needs place, from a financial place. Like that's really kind of what I see my purpose as. Um, But I think boards and, and associations, I think they keep you scared because they don't want you to start questioning, oh, wait, look what these life coaches are doing and look what all this is happening. Like, why don't we have national licensure yet? Why don't we have, you know, the the flexibility and the autonomy and the ease that so many other professions have? Right, right. And there's so much kind of, you know, shame, shaming of thing of life coaching, right? That Mm -hmm. and I think that that's done on purpose, too, for the same, same kind of reason. Yeah. Um, So. You are a person, you've made your own transition. So you you worked as a mental health professional for a period of time and then decided to go into coaching? Yeah, so it was, there was a lot of life factors that really made these decisions. So, you know, the first, moving to Alaska. The second, you know, PCSing all the time, moving, which is the Army's way of saying moving all the time. And then when my six-year-old was born, she was born with a really unique diagnosis that is, it's a syndrome. So it can show up in their heart. It can show up in their gastrointestinal. It could show up in all these places. Mm. And when she was an infant, we were going to like five different specialists a week and then follow-up appointments and all of these things. So at that point, I was working at an agency. And, um, you know, Josh is a soldier. It's not like he can just take off and and go to these appointments and all of these things. So it fell on me to be the person who was taking her to doctor's appointments and, and leaving work. I was leaving work more than I was at work. Mm, um, wow. So at, at that point, I became a 1099 contractor, um, actually at the birth center that I had delivered Sawyer at. Um, I wow. went and pitched. Yeah, I went and pitched them. I said, hey, you guys have doulas, you have lactation consultants, you don't have a mental health professional. Can I come on here? And, you know, it was kind of my first real like entrepreneurship where I was like, I set my fee structure, I set all of that stuff. And I just said, you just give me this space and, you know, I'll make it happen. Um, But as all of these, mo- I was running pregnancy groups, I was running new moms groups, and it's it's crazy. Uh, me, another, and, and two other moms that I delivered around the same time, our, our girls are born in July, and two of them are in August, they had, their kids had birth defects, and my kid had a birth defect. Mm-hmm. And then all these other moms were just asking questions and wanted to hear our stories and wanted to hear, like, they wanted reassurance, Um because they were terrified, but they also just wanted to hear like personal experience and personal stories. And I didn't feel comfortable as a clinician revealing those things about me. Mm, um, yeah. And so, 
uh, revealing because you know blank slate and right. only self disclose when it when it's therapeutically appropriate and all of those again going back to the rules of the profession that I was terrified to violate. Um, so that was really the catalyst for me to explore coaching again, mm-hmm. to explore helping in a different way that used my skills, used my abilities, and felt freer, and I didn't feel scared. Wow. Yeah. Did you have, was there someone who was helping you step through this or were you just trying to cobble through this as you went yourself? I kind of made it up on my own. Um, I, so <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> the, way, the way that I found it is I was like, well, maybe I'll start a blog because mm-hmm. if my clients find my blog, as long as I'm not like promoting it to them or whatever, right, they could still potentially read my story. Mm. So I started researching how to blog. And in 2013, 2014, blogging was like the thing. Like you could get sponsors for your blog. You could get, you know, ads on your blog. It was like the intro into online income. Mm-hmm. Um And then right at that time is when courses were starting to become a thing because all these people were driving all this traffic to their blogs, sometimes hundreds and thousands of visitors, and they were getting pennies on the dollar for people who bought like mayonnaise through their ad on their blog, (laughs) right? If it was like a food blog or whatever. Right. And so courses, people were starting to talk about building an email list from your blog and selling your own things to your own traffic. Um. And so I, before my blog ever got off the ground, it was called Mamas and Mini-Me's, The Psychology Behind All Things Mom and Baby. (laughs) So I was talking about like attachment and all this stuff and I was sharing my story with Sawyer. So before I ever got the blog off the ground, I quickly saw, hey, I'm going to make a pivot here and start selling my stuff instead of selling other people's stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and then you just kind of started to figure out how to go about doing that. Mm-hmm. The wow. first person I followed was Mariah Cause. She's still a big name in in online space um, today, and she had a program called Your First One K. And her goal was to help you sell a hundred dollar product to ten people and make a th- your first thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. And so that was the first program that I invested in was Your First One K, and that was really what taught me all the online techniques and so that's where I was able to pair that the traditional business the traditional marketing background that I had with this new online thing Mm. that was happening yeah and so did when you went in and you're starting to build things and it sounds like you were starting more kind of from that mental health end right like Mm -hmm. you're like I'm going to promote some what I know um so what brought you to the place of saying okay you know what what really speaks to me is to help other um, help other helpers essentially pursue side hustles and 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 work you know go from working with one to working with money. What what brought you to that as your um, passion? Yeah, so I was doing the whole mom and baby thing mm-hmm. attachment. Like that's where I started coaching, and then I got pregnant with Logan. And when I got pregnant with Logan, I got um, something called HG. I don't like to say the it's like hypermesis gravidula, whatever. It's what Kate Middle, Middleton had, and it's when you actually you get so sick that you lose weight during your pregnancy. Oh wow! Um, so it was to the point where like I couldn't roll over without getting sick. I it, but by the time I'd gotten out of bed in the morning, I had been sick two or three times, and it just like it was en- enough to get Sawyer to like out to to play blocks with me or whatever so 
um, I kind of let the whole mom and baby thing fall by the wayside. And then when Logan was six months, we had moved. Um, we had moved, we moved when I was nine months pregnant, um, from Georgia to Texas. And then when Logan got about six months old, I started really coming out of that mom fog and I wanted something for me again, but I knew I didn't really want to go back to the mom space. Um, it just wasn't really what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was like, well, what, what's out there? I had connected with a friend named um, Illy Walter. She runs the Refreshed Therapist Network. Yeah, I'm familiar with her work. Yeah. So we had been, in my mom days, we had been in a coaching program together run by um, Jacqueline Malone. It was called Chasing Dreams and Little. So it was for mom entrepreneurs. And she was the only other clinician in there. So we kind of bonded. And I picked her brain and said, what's going on in the therapist space? Like, what are people needing? And she told me right away, they need to know how to market. And I was like, well, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I started just helping um, clinicians market their existing practices. Um, and then I realized, you know, it, it, it's all been stages and evolution. So I was like, what am I really called to do? It's not at every stage I asked, is this what I really want to do? Even going back to Alaska, like, I have the opportunity to evaluate what it is that I really want to do here. What do I want from this situation? Right. Um, and that's kind of the question I asked at every different turning point. Um, so I had an MVP, a most viable product, and that was helping clinicians marketing existing their practices or their existing practices. And then I got that to market. I started making money from it and I realized this isn't what I want to do long term. So instead of completely reinventing at that point it was a pivot at that point because I had an established audience established business and I just had to pivot my offerings if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely and I love so that was you know one of the things is I feel like um just kind of knowing you in the capacity of getting to work with you it sounds like you're you just kind of ha have that sort of um entrepreneurial spirit in terms of being able to always kind of see ahead to what your next project is going to be or what, you know, what you might want to be gravitating to next, even if it's different, even if it is a pivot and being able to move towards that. So that's, I, I just, I, can you speak a little bit about just kind of that entrepreneurial spirit, how that's influenced you as a businesswoman, um, how it's been helpful or challenging to kind of yeah. be built that way? Yeah, I think it's both. Like when you said helpful and challenging, that was like what really kind of hit me is because it mm -hmm. is. It's both. Um, I've had to slow down a lot. If you take the um, the Colby A, it's a it's a per another one of those personality tests, but this one is more for how you perform at work. Mm -hmm. um, and I am a quick start. There's quick start researcher and two others that I can't remember off the top of my head. But a quick start is somebody who gets an idea for a project and can quickly execute, but doesn't spend a lot of time maybe gathering data or facts or mm -hmm. things like that. And so that can kind of get you in trouble when you're like halfway through a project and you're like, why isn't this working or why isn't this fitting or whatever? Um, so I think that entrepreneurial spirit of I, I crave life on my own terms. I always have. Mm -hmm. um, and so it made, it made sense to naturally crave a livelihood on my own terms and, and a way of an, an income and making money and supporting myself on my own terms. So that's just something that I was born with. I think you can cultivate a more entrepreneurial spirit, but I do think there are some that they just have it. Um, 
So when I have that like life on my own terms plus quick start, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. when I get I can get into hot water or I can I can pivot too soon or I can pivot too quickly. So I've really cultivated a practice of asking myself and uh, to slow down and really evaluating decisions from multiple angles and and not making choices not taking action on choices right away like intentionally making myself stop sit on a a potential decision for a few months and then revisit oh that's so smart that sounds hard to do (laughs) because I I relate to that quick start thing it's like you get an idea and you want to pounce on it yeah, I think it's gotten easier. Like I said, it's a practice that I cultivate. So it's, I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely, and that's something I think comes into it too is intuition, right? If there yeah. is a voice that's telling me this is the right thing, then I will tap into my quick start and I will go. But if there is any apprehension about it at all, or if it's something that isn't just a screaming yes, then I practice slowing down. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about where you can offer people some of your expertise, because I think that that's, you know, you've you've got so much important knowledge that I think people, um, especially in this field, just really need to need to know. Um, So a few weeks ago, I had interviewed um, a 26 year old clinician and I had worked Mm -hmm. with her previously. She's she's a phenomenal clinician, but she'd. um, she just finished, she just completed licensure, but had been mm-hmm. working heavily in the field for, for some time and was already feeling pretty burnt out, which is sad to say when someone's 26, but not actually that unusual. Um, so just licensed and she was thinking about going into wellness coaching and, and maybe leaving clinical work for a while. She's super interested in fitness and, and athletics and things. So if she were coming to you and saying, okay, like I want to maybe get this other thing started, I have no idea where to begin, what would you, what would you advise someone who's in that kind of position who's looking to just kind of dip their toe into something new? I think that's fascinating because that's right at the age where it started happening for me as well. At 26. Um, wow. Because mm-hmm, I, I had finished undergrad, I'd finished uh, grad school, I'd finished licensure, and then it was like... Again, it, again, it was like, okay, what do I really want? And I think right. that that late 20s, early 30s is right where you start kind of, for me, my personal experience is, again, like I'm sick of crossing everyone else's box or things off the list. I'm sick of checking everyone else's boxes. What's my box? Right. <laughs> right. Right. So that that's why I think it was kind of at the same time of life for me. Um, I think my biggest lesson, and that I've learned and that I would want to pass on is there's a there is a difference between doing and being mm-hmm. and we need both and that almost goes back to what I was talking about with like making myself slow down with that quick start thing like the quick start is me 100% in my doing but I've been cultivating this being side of me um, right. and so that's kind of what I would talk to her about is what is your being state saying, right? Let's do some reflection. Let's do some honest diving deep into what do you want? Let's vision it. Let's, you know, take some time here. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think once you hit the ground running and once you flip the switch to doing, if you have a really 
clear vision and a clear path of what you really want, the doing is so much faster and easier. Everything falls into place when you start from a base of reflection. Right, right. Oh my God. And I think that's so important too now, speaking as a person who's gone through and still in the process of like building my own side hustle, right? Where I'm where I'm doing this kind of um, group intensive coaching work, but thinking about how how much of the struggle for me, I mean, you could even, you could even see with me going through it of like reflecting again, like what, what do I really want? Do I really Mm -hmm. want to be doing this? Is this a piece I actually really want to do? Do I need, does it need to be this big? And like continually like sitting with that and revising that. And because if you start to build it when it's not, um, when you're not from that place of clarity, it's, it's not going to come together, right? It's not going to materialize to what you actually need it to be. Right. And I see this time and time again is people have an initial idea and then, well, I see two things. One thing I saw with you is you had an initial idea and then you kind of second guess that idea and tried to like think about something else or maybe not second guess, but made that idea bigger Yes, and then kind of chased that path and then did some reflection and almost came back to close to your original idea. So that's kind of where that intuition I think is important and listening to, and this is something that takes a long time. Like I am fully in the middle of practicing this. I would not say that I've mastered this at all, but, but teasing out like, is this an idea or is this an intuitive hit? Um, and I'm like working on that, that every day. But so I see that I see people who have like the the quote unquote right idea in the beginning and then maybe second guess it or maybe try and make it too big and then end up kind of right back at their their first idea. Mm. Or I have people who have a first idea and then run with it and kind of force it through like square peg round hole kind of situation. Right. And I think when you do the reflection It'll be, it's still like round peg, round hole. The, the peg might be a little big, right? We have to still refine it, but it'll fit so much easier. It's not like the complete mismatched shape, if that makes sense. I don't right. know if the analogy I'm using is making any sense. No, I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it's it's hard to say because some some people, like if we keep running with this doing and being, some people are such doers that the way that they learn and the way they process and integrate is like trial and error, right? So sometimes they need to do do it a little bit wrong or or misaligned. I don't like the word wrong, but do it in a way that's a little misaligned mm. and learn from it. But in my experience, I'd rather reflect first. Right, right, right. Start with that and then move into mm-hmm. actually creating. Yeah, yeah, good advice. That's good. So let's talk about balance. (laughs) Let's talk about balance and self-care in the time of COVID. Um, So (laughs) prioritizing your own wants and needs, right? Because you are still a helper. I mean, you're helping tons of people in this capacity. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be a mental health clinician to be a helper. Right. So how do you prioritize your wants and needs as a helper? And do you feel that you have a sense of balance? Sometimes. Um, COVID was such a unique experience for me because, in a sense, nothing that I did changed. Mm -hmm. Um, The only difference was that I had to do everything that I normally did with everyone else home. So that was, like, the big difference, right? Like, my days always looked like this. 
right. drop the kids off. I'd socially distance, like wave to their teacher from the car, you know, and then I would drive back home and work at my home office and then until it was time to go pick them back up again. Um, but then all of a sudden, like I couldn't get them out of the house. So it was still maintaining like my normal routines, which didn't happen, but some semblance of like my to-do list. So that's what really happened in like, you know, if, if we look at it in like a crisis, right? Um, I really isolated down like, what are these things that I like to do during the day? Or I, I usually kind of are frivolous in my day and what's actually essential. Um, mm. And so I ran my business from March through July really on what is essential, and I yeah. only did the one, maybe two things a day that had to be done. Mm -hmm. um, but now that in July, the daycares opened back up here. We're in one of the states that opened pretty early, which, you know, blessing and a curse. Right. But in July, the daycares opened back up. And so I got some sort of sense of normal. But then August, school started virtually for three weeks. Um, and then the school board voted on a Wednesday to send them back to school on Monday. So we had five days to try and get them back to school. This is why I think being a military spouse like really helped me with COVID. Um, I saw a meme around like April time frame that said like military spouses um, having their plans ruined by the government before it was cool. <laughs> and that's like, that's totally my life. I'm like, okay, well, we're doing homeschool now. All right, three days to get them back to school. It's no different than when I had to move in two weeks the other time in, you know, Texas or whatever. Oh, wow. So I just was able to like really um, go back to some of the skills that I learned by being a military spouse and just... Mm -hmm apply them to this life. Now I'm knocking on wood. So you might hear that come through my <laughs> microphone. Um, the, we're back in full-time in-person school, daycares oh, wow. are open. And so my life feels kind of normal again. Okay. Um, so my biggest thing is I create schedules I call them values-based schedules. So rather than listing out everything I have to do and then fitting my values and my my needs and wants around the to-do list, I do it the other way around. I account for, I have non-negotiable, so family time, um, you know, husband-wife time, um, self-care, like hobbies, whatever, spirituality, like these are my non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. These are things that I account for first when I'm planning my time. Then I take a look at, you know, obligations that maybe aren't like essential to my day, but still have to get done, like washing the dishes, those kinds of things. Um, and, and then I account for those. And with the time left, I build in like, you know, my business or I build in like these other things. So, I really kind of come at it from a backwards point of view where I'm planning and accounting for the things that matter before I'm trying to fit something else in. Right, right. Yeah, lots of intentionality. I love that. I mm. also love what you said about, um, you know, back a little bit ago about just picking like the two essential things and doing those. I think that that's yeah. such a great practice generally to allow ourselves to say, we don't have to do 80 things a day. Maybe we do two things a day and that's fine. Right. Like that, I, you know, and kind of reframing that since we're all so inundated with tasks. Um, and I think another thing too is starting sooner 
Like when you have a big project and you're like, oh, this will only take me two weeks to do. Yeah, it'll take you two weeks to do if you're devoting like four hours a day to it. Mm -hmm. But what if you started with four weeks or maybe even five weeks? I know that sounds crazy, but then you're doing 20 minutes a day right? instead of four hours a day. Right. Um, so sometimes when we have bigger things, like breaking them down into smaller pieces, and I think this is something, It's it's it sounds simple, but... I think when our brains are used to like um, beating ourselves up or being hard on ourselves or like, well, why would I only get, why would I only work for 20 minutes? You know, <laughs> I should be working for two hours or I should be being my best and doing all I can do and, you know, really being productive. Yeah. Um, but sometimes like, like literally 20 minutes a day every day for a few weeks instead of, you know, a hard push of two hours a day, it's going to feel so much better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let me set this scene for you. I was 35 years old, working at a residential program 50 plus hours a week, making less than $50,000 a year on public service loan forgiveness with nine years to go, two graduate degrees to pay for that totaled $101,000. I watched my interest accrue as I made minimum payments until my balance hit $121,000. I felt terrified, anxious, unwell, and I was sure that I couldn't stick it out to have my loans forgiven without having a mental breakdown. Do you relate to this story at all? Then I have a program for you. So I have a four week group intensive program rolling out in January, 2021 that will identify your stuck points and create an individualized plan for you to get out of student debt so you can be financially free. You'll work with me and a small group of like-minded individuals to follow the process that I did to pay off all my debts in a few years while increasing my income and cultivating a more satisfying career and lifestyle. Do you wanna learn more? Visit my website at danabellatier.com and check out the Help Yourself Group Intensive. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts! Okay, so I have, I actually have two good friends that I have, like, just straight out recommended saying, listen, you guys should go into coaching, (laughs) Mm -hmm. maybe separate from what you're doing right now, you know, for for different reasons. And one of my friends is, um, you know, sort of coming up on retirement. She's she's in her early 60s. And she's like, right. But she's she's like, no, I just need to stay through this until I'm retired. And then because I don't know what all that other stuff is. And that just seems way too overwhelming. And then my other friend um, had a lot of concerns about uh, what she actually could offer that was a value, even though she mm-hmm. has like a million things that really would. So mm-hmm. I think that there's there's so many helpers floating around that um, can relate maybe to this feeling of wanting to explore coaching or um, you know taking the leap from certainly you know like agency nonprofit work in the mental health field and working for themselves or providing different kinds of services. Um, but I, there's a lot of fear associated mm-hmm. with with taking that kind of leap. 
Um, so what would you suggest to, to those people? I mean, we've, we've covered and talked a lot about just kind of sitting with things and intentionality mm-hmm. and really um, having a, a focus of where you're going. But what would you recommend to, to work with that fear? Yeah. Well, we, um, in our group, Dana, you and I, and some of our other masterminders, we were kind of having this discussion the other day about coming off of insurance panels. Yeah. And again, like, maybe I'm like a lot more conservative than I thought I was, not politically, but I mean, like, (laughs) lifestyle wise, (laughs) of like, we on that conversation, we were talking about doing things incrementally and doing things in baby steps, right? I don't Mm. think it has to be like, tomorrow I'm getting off of insurance panels and then, you know, starting a private pay practice the next day. For some people, that might be the right move. But for others, it might be for every client that terminates, you bring on a full fee and you do it like gradually. Mm -hmm. I think the same can be said for moving into coaching or moving into another um, income stream, right? Get one coaching client and then terminate one therapy client. Get your second coaching client, terminate your second uh, therapy client. So it doesn't have to be like this stark night and day difference. It can absolutely be something that you do step by step, like baby steps. Yeah, that's great. That's really good advice. So you don't have to just dive right into the pool. You can kind of Mm -hmm. tow your way in. Yeah. And that might be more comfortable. Yeah, like yeah. build it up on the side. And then again, this it goes back to that reflection, but how much do you actually need? <laughs> like this, this is really, I think, part of your work too. Like how much money do you need? Everybody mm-hmm. talks about that like six figures mark, right? Do you actually need $100,000 or would like $68,000 be like just enough or just plenty, right? right? Would your lifestyle be great? Or are you like reaching for this arbitrary number because that's what everybody else is talking about? Right. So you might find that you could like make the transition a lot faster because when you really get down to what do you need, you realize like, oh, okay, I, uh, maybe like two coaching clients and then half my caseload, I'd actually be just fine. Yeah, yeah, right. So we don't we don't have to kind of aspire to these. I mean, aspirations for whatever is great, right? But it doesn't have to be these giant lofty things. It can be what do, what do I need and giving yourself permission to start there and grow if you want to. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. it can absolutely be lofty if it's what you want. Yeah, Mm-hmm. Right. Like if you're mm-hmm. like, I want to make a million dollars a year because I want to make a million dollars a year, then awesome. Let's build a business that helps you do that. But if you're like, I want to be or I want to make seven figures because that's what I'm hearing these right. other gurus talk about or that's what I'm hearing is this magic number, then that's that's different. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. OK, so we've got you know, other helpers listening that are like, okay, I want to start a side hustle, or I'm interested in um, looking at coaching or online courses or, or all different things and um, are wanting to sort of make that transition and aren't sure um, what they what they should do first, right? Or what mm-hmm. to do next. So what do you think is the most important thing for those people that are that are ready to get things started, um, but are like, okay, so what, what first? What piece of advice would you give to them? Yeah, my um, my answer is not going to surprise you because <laughs> it's it's insight based, it's insight oriented, but mm-hmm. it's really like starting to figure out what does this look like for your lifestyle. There's mm-hmm. a few different questions um, 
that I have people explore. The first is level of touch. Mm-hmm. If you are already working like clinically or you're helping um, capacity is already really high touch, you might not want another high touch side hustle, right? If you're already right. working one-to-one with like trauma-based clients or whatever, you might not want to then go out and do some kind of like trauma coaching because basically you're just replicating the same thing. Right. Um, so level of touch, you might want to sell like an ebook that you create once and never do anything again with and and it just sells passively or whatever. And that's like zero touch, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to examine that. We also want to examine volume. Do you want to be marketing a lot and selling at a high volume or do you want to be selling at a lower volume? Once you know that, then that also informs your price. Because if you're selling low volume, you need to be higher priced. So what? How do you feel about accessibility? Um, if you want, if you know accessibility is important to you and you want a lower price, then you're gonna need higher volume. So all of these variables relate, but they're all things to explore, and they help you really figure out what's the right program for you. So right. you might be, you might end up being like middle of the road on all of those. I want middle of the road touch. I want middle of the road pricing. I want middle of the road volume. And you might end up at something like a, a membership site or a course with like a supportive element, like a Facebook group or a like monthly coaching with your course. That would be something that would kind of fall in the middle of all of those. Right. What are the things that that are available to people in terms because I didn't know the options, you know, you w- went through like a membership site, yeah. you've talked about um, in Side Hustle, you talk about like retreats, can you just run through mm-hmm. those options for people so they kind of know what what exists? What's totally. possible? Yeah, so on the the end of the spectrum, which is like lowest touch, mm-hmm. um, lowest touch means you're probably needing higher volume and high, and um, probably lower lower price. So kind of mm-hmm. keep that in mind. But lowest touch is something like an ebook, mm-hmm. right? Something that you could make once and sell. Um, repeatedly. Also in this category might be like a recorded training. Some people do um, like if you if you use meditation in your practice, you could make a meditation album. Mm-hmm. Um, like we don't need, you know, RCA records to make albums anymore. We just need, um, you know, uh, something to record our voice like Zoom or whatever. Right. Right. So you can you can do an album. You can do anything that you make once and then just sell on repeat. Um a step up from that is a um, course with zero support, so like a self-study course. So it's more than that ebook. It has more information that, that they can get in just something like a PDF, but it's still you sell it um, to, you, you make it once and you continue to sell it. A step up from that is a course with support. So you have you make the curriculum. People can still go through it at their leisure self-study, but you have a Facebook group involved or some other sort of community where people can tag you, get your attention, and ask you questions. You can also do this with like monthly coaching calls where they still go through the curriculum on their own, but then once a month they have the ability to kind of pick your brain. Mm-hmm. Um Moving up from that, we have something called a a membership site, Mm -hmm. which you create content on a monthly basis um, and people pay you a monthly fee. So you can think Netflix, Hulu, um, 
uh, if you do Stitch Fix or if you do, I'm trying to think, like, some people do BarkBox for their dogs. Right. Those are Those are all membership sites. Um, there are different formats, like subscription boxes and stuff like that. There are different formats, but the concept is the same. You pay monthly, you receive something monthly. So um, from the creator standpoint, you could be doing monthly trainings, um, monthly challenges, monthly experiences, monthly something. Um, in exchange for that, people pay you a monthly fee. Um, because these are getting higher touch because you have to be there multiple times a month instead of, you know, um, not doing anything with the asset once it's created. We also have things like workshops. Workshops are like um, a half day kind of thing, like a half day experience, three hours, four hours. So they're higher touch, but they're for a short duration. Mm. Um, so you might sell a workshop. I When I run them, I sell them for like a $100 ticket. And then, um, you know, train and experience. I think the big thing that, that happens with workshops is they're experiential and they're tangible. So people do something with you and people take something away from the event. Um, those could be really lucrative. Like if you get um, 100 people at 100 bucks, that's a $10,000 Saturday. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and even even 20 people at 100 bucks is a $2,000 Saturday. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then up up from there, we get into those higher touch programs. So of course, one on one coaching, everybody's kind of a little more familiar with that. A group program like what we went through together, Dana, where Mm -hmm. you kind of it combines a group program combines a course and coaching. So um, there's still a curriculum involved, but then there are multiple touch points a week. Like we had office hours on Wednesdays. We had the more training kind of calls on Fridays. And then we even have, um, we use Voxer, which is like a walkie talkie where we talk in between. Um, So that's very high touch. And then retreats. Retreats are something when we can travel in person again, ideally, where people travel to an event location. It could be in your hometown, um, local to you, or it could be like in Costa Rica or Bali or Thailand or, you know, somewhere really, really cool. Um, But it's it's an experiential event, you know, three, four days, maybe a week at the longest, um, where people travel to work with you. Right. Awesome. Yeah. See, so there's lots of choices. There's lots that Mm -hmm. you can do. Many ways to branch out. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So that's, you know, basically, I feel like you've given a lot of really good, of really good information for people to start to think about. Um, I know that there's lots of other, other helpers like I was, right. That are just like, Mm -hmm. I've been doing this, this works, but Um, I I still, you know, I love, I have my therapy practice. I love my therapy practice. And at a certain point, um, you want to start to maybe think about something else. So it's not so much because it's a lot. (laughs) It can be a lot. Um, So if people are interested in checking out what you have to offer or learning more about your programs, where can they find more from you? Yeah, my website is marissalawton.com. It's my name, so it's really easy. Um, And then I also have a quiz that is 
marissalotten.com slash quiz. So again, really easy. And it asks you kind of 10 pinpoint questions about exactly what we just talked about. Level of touch, how much Mm. income you want to make, how much marketing you want to do. And at the end, it kind of guides you to one of these um, results, a course, a group program, a retreat, an ebook, that kind of stuff. So you can, by taking this quiz, get a little bit of insight into where you fall on the spectrum of offers. um, And you can start kind of thinking getting the wheel spinning of what this might look like for you. Awesome. Yes. And I took the quiz to get things started for me. So like, yes, go take the quiz, everyone. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Find out what you might want to do. Marissa, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate your time and and everything that you know that, uh, that I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah, very you're so helpful. welcome. This is so fun. <laughs> it's fun to go back to like the beginning. And I told parts of my story in this one that I've never told before. So it's kind of cool. Like things I forgot. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad. Well, thank you so much. And uh, take care. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. And that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. For more from Marissa Lawton, you can go to marissalawton.com. If you go to marissalawton.com slash quiz, you can find the quiz that she talked about there. I recommend taking that to get started um, thinking about what your side hustle might be. Uh, For more from me, you can go to danabellateer.com. You can find me on Instagram at Help for the Helpers Podcast. And you can find us on Facebook, um, a community at the Help for the Helpers Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. We got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. Uh, All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non-judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitists, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth.